Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we have an awesome podcast for you today. Another interview. I'm sitting down here at Mile High Shooting with Chris Way of Craft uh, Works. I guess you call it great Craft Works or Craft? Rifle Craft. Rifle Craft with a K. With a K. Rifle Craft with a K. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, man. It's uh, like to be here. Yeah, yeah. Pretty gorgeous day out today. We should be at the range, huh? Yeah. It's like 40 degrees warmer than yesterday. <laughs> it really is. Um, did you go to Green Mill today? I did. Did you? Yeah, on the way here. I've, since uh, being at Rifles Only, Jacob took away rear bags. Yes. And, and I thought it was fantastic. So since then, I haven't shot with a rear bag. I've been only shooting with a sling. Nice. Yeah. That, you know, that was the original idea behind the tab sling, that thick back. Because in the Marine Corps, we, we, didn't, we used sand socks that became rear bags, but we used our sling. Um, you had the rear sling swivel, and when the uh, uh, Turner sling came down, you grabbed and held that. And then when you created a fist around it, that was your rear bag. And so then down the road is when they started putting sand in our socks and creating sand socks to carry them. But originally, we just used the Turner sling, grip tight close to the stock, and create a fist, and then that is what did it. And then the tab gear sling, is tripled up in the back so you can do the same thing it'll actually stand the rifle up on that sling if you try to choke up or need it to go higher for heights you can choke up with it and it'll actually work man that's awesome yeah we designed that but um background for everybody so rifle craft you, you jumped into this what you only been shooting for like three years in this kind of deal right yeah, my first competition was the Sniper Adventure Challenge in 2017, which is September. So I hadn't shot any matches prior to that. I barely shot at all prior to that and um, with a bolt gun. And a friend of mine said, I want you to do this with me. I said, man, I don't know how to shoot. He goes, doesn't matter. Doesn't Let's <laughs> just go do it. So, so, I, so I got a gun and went to that. And w we did well, but our weakest part was the shooting. Mm-hmm. And so he was in the Army at the time, actually he still is, and he had the opportunity to go to the, the Special Forces Sniper course afterwards. And he goes, oh, man, next year we're going to do so we're much gonna better. We're going to do better. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, and I just kind of dove headfirst into it, thinking, all right, if this is my weakness, we're going to just attack it until it isn't. Right. And, and, and it seems like every month I realize how much more there is to learn. And, and from what turned into kind of let's do this for a couple months while I'm recovering from a surgery, it's, it's kind of like my new lifestyle. It, well, and that's kind of one of the, I wanted to say, because you're local Colorado here, and if anybody looked at you kind of Facebook, like who's Chris Way, it, it's like you're the ultimate Colorado guy. You're, you're the mountain climber dude, and you're sitting there, you know, cl hanging off of overhangs and doing the, um, you know, all kinds of rucking and bouldering and ice climbing, and you're a go-ruck guy, right? In, yeah, I used to work for GORUCK. Yep, and so you're just like the outdoor, like if somebody wanted to look up a dude in Colorado, your picture would be there. Colorado dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really passionate about rock climbing and, and our whole family, that's kind of what we do mm -hmm. as a family. But being in the outdoors all the time, a lot of the field craft that relates to shooting carries over. Right. Just not the shooting. Exactly. And, and so the events that have diverse skill sets I, I tend to be more comfortable with than the ones that are pure shooting. 
thing is, like, you don't get good doing the things you're good at. Right. You got to. And, and that's kind of where I want to get into because your approach for just training in how to attack these competitions in a lot of ways went outside of the box for what most people would generally do to learn how to shoot a match. Like you're camping out at a hundred yards where a lot of people that, that, you know, they think they got to go out and shoot far and do all this. But what you're focused on has been more of the process more of the, um, the, the technical aspect of getting in position, breaking the shot, moving to the next, and then how to get the gun on target because you see how good the rifles are. You understand the trigger part of it. And so it really comes down to how efficient you are pointing at the targets and are able to get on and out of position. And to me, that's where your focus is kind of sitting, mm-hmm. you know? So kind of explain how you came... Because it goes against what people were doing prior to the you showing up on the scene. Yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of shooters, you want to get involved and you don't know where to look. So you get on Sniper's Hide. You buy Brian Litz's books. You get the Long Range Shooting Handbook by... Um, Kleckner. Kleckner, Ryan Kleckner. Mm-hmm. So I did all that and read everything, tried to memorize it, and, and then looked to see what people were doing and thought, gosh... It was different, right? It was completely like all, yeah. the books don't come anywhere close to reality. Yeah. Right. There's a big difference between what's being said and, and what people are doing. So that didn't, that didn't answer any of my questions. And so uh, what I started to do is, is, is test everything I read. Mm-hmm. Say, all right, if that's what they're doing, let's go see if it works. And, and slowly but surely... Um, there were some themes and, and I had seen people who, who, who I didn't know mention, okay, well, you know, we do dot drills or we do paper drills. I, th- I think you, I'm a you, dot you have a dot guy, drill right. guy. And what's funny is actually most of the credible fundamental research that I did traced back to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Everyone else kind of said, oh, well, this is what I do, and I'm pretty good at it, so just do what I do. And it's like, man, that, that doesn't sit well with me. And, and that's always been a bitch with me because I'm outside the curve. I don't fit the box physically. So you get a lot of guys like yourself who, in the, in the military or in the Army, this works, even today, this works for me, that mindset. And it's like, well, how does that work for me? Well, it doesn't because my hand's smaller. I can't reach this. I can't do that. And so I have to then start all over and try to adapt what I just read from him to fit me, where I try to, when the Marine Corps looks at it, through either me, Jacob, uh, the Marine Corps, the fundamental stuff we talk about, Phil and Kalen, we try to boil it all down to what can everybody do regardless of body type. And then from there, you have to then splinter off and find what works for you in the adaption of the positions. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's kind of amazing because when you first read, here's the fundamentals of marksmanship, you think, well, that sounds crazy. Why the hell would that matter? So you try everything and nothing works except for the ones that could be traced back to the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. But I made a mistake right off the bat uh, of saying, okay, it's my weakness. I'm going to shoot a lot of matches. 
So I, so I started to just go to matches and think, well, you know, I'll figure it out. Right, experience. And I wouldn't shoot well, and I'd ask, like, what did I do different? You know, what, what did you do different? What, where did I miss? And, and none of those answers were, were, were tracing back to something that I could train. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that, you know, one shooter would shoot left, they would hold right, they would miss right, they would go back left, they would miss left. And I thought, gosh, there's got to be a way to take out all the environmentals and say, like, let's look at just our shooting first. Mm -hmm. And when our shooting gets good, we'll layer in the environmentals. And, and so I just went to paper and I started shooting and I realized very quickly that my, my rifle could often shoot very good groups, but those groups wandered all over the place. And so, you know, I would have a point of aim and I would print a group and I would print a group somewhere else. And I would print a group somewhere else. And I thought, gosh, this is inconsistent. And I film myself and would review it on Coach's Eye, an app on the phone that, that we use for climbing sometimes. And I'd say, gosh, my head was in a different space. The buttstock was a different part of my shoulder. The recoil moved the rifle this way. Mm -hmm. I'd start to, to play with that and realize that um, the more consistent I could be between positions, and it, it kind of sounds yeah. stupid, but the more consistent I could be with my head angle, my shoulder angle, the angle of my shoulders and the support hand, if I could do that standing, seating, kneeling, prone, the shots tended to go in a similar place. Right. And, and that's where I had asked a friend to, to, to make this diamond target because I, I, I wanted to be able to measure, you know, what are my hit percentages going to be? And even though I would print a half-inch group, it would be an inch left. And then I would print a half-inch group, it would be an inch right. And then I would print a half-inch group, it would be an inch high. That's almost three MOA if you add them all together. Right. And, and so the craft developed out of that pattern of seeing that a lot of shooters have fundamental shifts such that although they print a small group, that small group isn't consistent between positions. And then rather than being a half MOA shooter, they're a three MOA shooter. Right. And identifying with your rifle. And I that would be natural of point approach. of aim. And somebody brought that up in my class in California that it's MPA we're adjusting ever so slightly. And you just said it, my shoulder and rifle angle and my head angle. If you're, you know, facing a half inch slightly to one side or the other because of a prop or something, that's going to throw that MPA in that direction. Your group won't grow. You're not going to see it crazy. All you did was shift where your body's naturally going to align that target, and you've just moved it off center slightly. Because I guarantee if you went back to um, a hunter, sat prone, your zero didn't move. It's your body position. Mm -hmm. you know, And that is what gets kind of overlooked because we see it that we're moving up to a prop like this table, six foot or whatever we hit the middle two feet of it, we feel we're doing pretty good. But what if it's not the middle two feet? What if it's that center three inches to either side? Yeah. And, you know, most people look at six foot table, three foot middle. Now we got to look at three inches where the rifle goes. And I think that's what you identify with your paper in target and then the repetitions you're putting in. Yeah. I mean, being an athlete, having competed in several sports at a high level, 
the, the training's always been fundamental to, to progress past your growth curve. So right, the plateau. Right, you, you have the steep growth curve and then it starts to plateau out and that's where the real work starts. And mm -hmm. that comes in for careful monitoring and careful uh, repetition to build the neurologic kind of proprioceptive patterns. But you know, nothing, nothing that Riflecraft is pushing is really anything that, that I came up with. It's just pooling together the things that successful shooters have done and maybe not had that light bulb go off that it applies to everyone else. That, you know, A, you gotta shoot a lot. B, you have to think about what you're doing. You have to create a shot process and have those consistent positions throughout all of your um, possible shooting positions. And so from going to competitions, you know, you see that it, it, it's not because I wanted it to match the, the NRA kind of positional stuff. Rather, it's like, you know, you tend to shoot standing up or kneeling or really low, and you could either low kneel or sit, and then you, or you shoot prone. And, and um, what I noticed looking on the internet, because I, I spent a lot of time looking at, at pictures that people would shoot thinking, God, you know, I, I can shoot pretty good, but I go to these matches and my hit percentage is lower than I would have expected because the target size is one to three MOA. So I figured, okay, if one and a half MOA target, you know, my, my wind calls aren't that bad. Right. I should have a higher hit percentage. And you look at what people, um, and this is one thing that I see a lot in terms of people trying to criticize the whole shooter approach, which, which if you're not familiar with the craft target, it's that we shoot all positions together on one target as your baseline assessment. And, it, and it's not unusual for somebody to pipe in. You should do each position isolated separately so that you could see what happens. And the problem that I see with that, uh, the problem for me and what I think is a problem for a lot of people is that uh, it's an issue of identifying with the group that you shoot, not the overall shot pattern. So right. somebody will shoot uh, a, a quarter inch group an inch left of their aim point. And they'll say, okay, that's my seated group. That's a quarter inch group. They disregard that it's an inch to the left. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, they say, oh, it's an inch to the left, that's one MOA. And, and of course that's not, it's two MOA. And they barely nicked it if that's the truth, you know, right? So, and then separately they have a uh, half inch, quarter inch group that's at 10 o'clock. And then they have another group on another target that's a half inch group at 4.30. And in isolation, A, it hasn't deviated that much from their point of aim, right? And only an inch. But if you put those together, you've got a really big group. Right. And I think if, if you say, that's my shooting, and that, that's where I kind of sometimes go back to Ryan Kleckner's book, and some of the videos and interviews he's done, he says he's a one MOA shooter. And when I read that, mm -hmm. I thought, that's not very good. And because my gun shoots, you know, I can Yeah, get that, a and, and honestly, inch. that's just boilerplate to say you're a one MOA shooter. Well, and, and I'm not yeah, ripping on yeah, Ryan No, Fletcher, no, I'm not, and I get it. Because he's and, a good shooter. But, but when I first read it and heard it, I thought, yeah. fuck, dude, that's pretty low standards. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go into this. I'm going to go history for you guys, and I'm going to go in, and I'll even give Kleckner some history. So, David Tubb, his Tubb rifles, tons of marks and adjustments on it to the point where his action has a zero, five, and 10 degree, so you can move your rail if you want for you. 
So let's go to service rifling across the course. If you were shooting service rifle back in the day, multiple positions, standing, sitting, kneeling, prone, you had a different sight adjustment for each one. You didn't, okay. and that included windage. Oh. Exactly. So we're getting somewhere now. And when you look at the angles, look at it, find a service rifle guy's book online and look at his positions. He'll change windage because he's tipping and turning and moving the rifle for each position. And so they're dialing that out. Same thing an Olympic person does. So when I did your craft target and my group was tiny, I didn't do it like you did it originally because we sort of boiled down when you and I talked like we should do this. But the first time I just did sitting, kneeling, standing prone or, you know, that. But I said, well, I'm going to do slow fire because nobody said a time and nobody said anything. But before I did that, I put the dot target up and I shot each position. I shot a group each position and I looked where did they impact differently mm -hmm. in that what you were talking about, that XY. And I adjusted my sights. So then when I shot the, gr the group, I had dope on my gun. And then I shot the group just straight through. I basically said my she's three, she's three shots standing, kneeling, sitting. Then I went to prone. And I didn't do break and build except when I got to the target. I didn't do like you do every shot, break and build. But when I did that, my group was really good. Mm -hmm. And people looked at it and went, uh. I crafted that in a way to kind of do that so I had that info and I knew what I was doing looking at different positions have different not only windage but elevation changes and your method of putting them all together is exactly what people should be doing because that's like you're saying that's giving you to where your actual center might be for all of it and maybe it shifts like you're saying so maybe you're sitting is a half inch to one side, your standing is a half inch high but in line, your kneeling is centered up pretty good and not too bad and same with your prone. Well, when you put them all together, you find out your group center is actually like 10 o'clock. That's the adjustment I made with my scope when I did it the, the time and that's a service rifle mindset because they're shooting paper on an X ring for multiple positions. David Tubb would change his stock for every position, which is why it's graduated the way it is, and it's marked. So he goes, okay, I'm shooting prone on 10. All right, I'm shooting prone on 10. Oh, wait a minute, now I gotta shoot my standing stage. The stock's going eight now. All right, I put my stock at eight, and then I do that. And then he goes, okay, I'm gonna shoot kneeling. Stock goes to nine. Well, I could do my sitting at the same place as my kneeling. I'll leave my stock around nine but maybe for somebody it's nine and a half. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I think your target is allowing people to score, because paper tells on you. Paper's gonna ratchet out, like you were saying. The biggest problem with the comp guys who practice on steel or who go out to a match and wanna learn after, you have no data to take home. Where did I miss? I don't know, dude, the wind was blowing over here, you probably missed off the other side. Where did I miss? I don't know, it looked like a little high, but the way the angle and the arch, you didn't miss high, you burned a little bit to the side. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you get bad information. To me, it's trying to say, a guy who just walked off a of combat and did some really cool shit should be an instructor. He probably was just a switched on athletic guy who really didn't have his mind in it. He was just going on autopilot and working a problem 
but not thinking about each little thing he's reacting or anticipating and reacting. He's not analyzing every current corner because it'd be too slow and he couldn't do it. Instead, he's going on muscle memory and he's driving. But you don't take that guy out and say, okay, now you're the instructor. Because he might, like you said, might be able to do it for him, but he doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. So why do I want to learn from that guy? That's the guy on the, on the PRS range who's doing really well, but can't tell you why he's doing well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's slapping the trigger because it's only a four ounce, eight ounce trigger. It don't matter if he slaps it. He's doing it like... I used to always say this kind of been coming up lately with the Shannon stuff. Every time I was around Shannon, I used to tell him, dude, you're the worst, best shooter I've ever seen because he's crooked. He slaps the trigger. He does everything fundamentally wrong, but he's a naturally he's a good shot and he can point the rifle at the target and he's big enough. It doesn't move. So it's like you're a really good, bad shooter. The world's full of good, bad shooters, people who learn to adapt their way of doing things to success but what you're about and what i see is like my job is how do i translate that information to everyone and that's kind of where the marine corps part comes in like you were talking yeah it's translated to the lowest common and then there's a path to move forward you know and and this is the the missing part that I think you're filling in. We're using this target now, and it to me, it's super valuable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really exploded, and I, th- I think it's cool in a lot of different respects. One, it teaches people that aren't competitors what their where their 100% hit rate is. So if I was a hunter and I shoot two MOA for my positions, you know, I know that that I've got an ethical range that I can work in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're not shooting so far that environmentals most hunters aren't shooting so far. Right. That, that but you could. You can translate you it to maybe maybe you've always been taking shots to 400, but your accuracy really says you're a 600-yard guy, mm-hmm. and now you have more options. Yeah. yeah. But you, I also see new shooters, you know, printing eight MOA groups. Mm-hmm. And, and if they want to go hunting, they have to understand that there's an effective range for their eight MOA, and they could still hunt, but they probably shouldn't take a shot. Right. Past that because the paper says you know, you're, you're a 70 you're yard guy. Take yeah. a deer at 70. Exactly. Don't take them at 700. Right. right. Yes. And, and, and that's huge. And I think that's, it's a responsible thing to do. And I think people want to improve. You, you need to know where you're at personally, not where the game's at. Right. Because you, if you know where you're at, you can work towards a goal. And so, um, and, and so the target and the numbering system and the way that it's analyzed creates what could become, well, my hopes are, is that it becomes a standard across disciplines to say, I'm, I'm this level shooter. Mm-hmm. And, and to get from this level to this level requires the assistance of an instructor or a school. And I say, gosh, I've worked really hard and I've got myself to a three or a four. But... I've got some fundamental flaws that need to be fixed. I'm going to go take a class. To get to a two say, and a one, right. And, and I could bring my targets. Or, or on the website now, you can, you can share targets uh, privately. But I'd be able to share them with you or share them with Philip and say, you know, I worked, here's my progress, but I've hit a wall. I need some help. And they look at those targets and they say, wow, I can, I can tell from this 
that you've got some fundamental issues. Yep, yep. And then they come to your class and very efficiently you watch them shoot. You say, all right, you know, I've confirmed what I see on your targets. Let's take this to the, you know, to the next level and work on getting a two or something like that. And at matches, you could say, um, you know, realistically, out of a thousand or so shooters, the average group size is about four and a half MOA. So if you go to a match and you know the average shooter shoots four and a half MOA, you know, maybe if, they, if you want them to get some hits, you put some targets that are four and yes. a half MOA or within a, with, you know, in, a, in a distance where they're going to get shot. You get to mix up, you identify where you're going to go. So you say, I want a 75% hit rate for the match winner. And if you're looking at this data, you can say, okay, I need to do a combination of one, three, and four MOA targets. The one's going to trip up enough people. If I do X number of those, the three and the four should fill the rest of the gap in, and that's how you design a stage. Right, right. Yeah. Because a new shooter, you know, t typically people that have done competitions shoot better than those four MOA, but there's, there's a gap between the eight to six and then the four Jumps to in. one. There's right. kind of, a, there's kind of a, a empty spot in there. But the people that are on the outside they're not going to have fun at a competition because they're going to miss most of their shots. Right. And if you're two small targets, that. and then that's where you discourage people and they don't want to come back because why would I show up? I only hit 10 targets, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and that becomes a big thing. Before I, I and last thing I want to, because I want to jump to uh, the brawl and everything, the, the dot drill. When I originally designed the dot drill down at Rifles Only, it was meant for the 100-yard day because we did six-day classes for our PR1 and 2. So the first day was almost 100% 100 yards. To me, it works because everybody has access to 100. It scales. You can always make the target smaller or bigger. Same with yours. You're scaled up there where you have, you know, the half minute all the way to eight. And it's that paper to give you feedback. So I really like the direction you went with that, which is kind of why I jumped in with embracing it. But let's talk now, taking... Uh, and we're going to get back to training after, but let's take what you've done and now you've gone to match. Like you just went to rifles only in which let's talk about the different things Jacob did to basically flip the script on people and how what you observed when that happened. Yeah. So, I, you know, I've been going to competitions as, as a way to, to raise my skill level. And I've been using this training uh, to, to try to prepare for field matches because my, my main interest is in the field, but there aren't that many competitions that are field-based mm -hmm. so you got to go to what's available and and so i've done uh a couple prs and 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 quite a few nrl um jacob's match is unique because it's got much more fundamental testing positions they're much wobblier mm -hmm. uh, the time hacks are about the same but the round counts are higher so without uh without recoil management without breath control without you know, good follow through. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to shoot, miss, and not see where your miss went to make that correction, and so on and so forth. So, so it's a really good match uh, to test your fundamental uh, rifle skills. But he's also got some stages that are kind of gambler stages, and um, some things that stand out to be quite a bit different than than the rest of the matches. And this year on day two, uh, he asked the competitors to not use any bags so they could use a bipod and a sling mm -hmm. and just so you know because what happened the day before somebody used the giant uno the armageddon uno bag which is a bean bag from the 60s 
and they brought it in the helicopter and they used it when they weren't supposed to kind of deal. So he basically implemented a no bag rule for the next day. I was getting my phone blown up <laughs> then that night because yeah. he was in on a, he was on a uh, little bit of a tirade. Um, no, I mean, I think he handled it really oh, well. Oh, yeah. And, and um, there's a public and then there's a private side. You know, right? <laughs> right, right. But the thing is, like, if, if you make a choice, in my opinion, that affects all the competitors, the, the playing field's still level. It's still level, right. So if we're there to shoot and be tested on our shooting ability, hell yeah. Like, mm -hmm. our hit percentages went down for, for most They actually people. went up, he said. He said the second day had higher scores than the first. I talked to him last night. Interesting. He interesting. said the second day had higher scores. There was some really good shooting yeah. on day two. Because people were concentrating, probably. Yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, so, I mean, this whole idea that, you know, this is better and all that is really probably not so much more where people are saying we're doing better today. Well, you're shooting more today. You're doing more than we did back in the day, but your rifles are now bench rest rifles and not what we were using 10 years ago. I mean, you know, an AI, AT or AE was considered an unfair advantage and trick. You have an AI, dude, that's an unfair advantage. You know, that's a trick gun. Uh, Cause it had the biggest disadvantage people was the bolt throw. Cause it had a shorter bolt throw, 60 degree instead of 90. When most people were shooting, you know, Remington clones, the AI was considered an advantage because it was a, a chassis, it was modular, you could put stuff around it, it had a handguard, and where your open stocks touched the barrels, you didn't have mounting points until people started adding them. So if you look, if you go back prior, like a year prior to the PRS, put back to 2011, an AI was an advantage in this game. For how good the ATX shoots, it, it probably is an advantage. Well, but you, that's it's a chassis difference yeah. is what you're looking at. The barrel right. action's always been the same. Gotcha. And, no, and, and part really of it was the triggers were better because you had the two-stage, so guys didn't make mistakes on the trigger. The single-stage guys made. So that was a bit of an advantage. Then the problem was everybody hated the AI because it was too heavy back then. <laughs> the bitch was it weighed too much. And so... Like, my Gap team gun with a scope on it weighed 11 pounds. And I did top 10 with that thing. I didn't carry an AI. I carried a, DAP, a Gap team gun because it was lighter. But then they started realizing weights in bags. Add weights, drop it on a bag, and more weight on a sandbag is better. And so I, I just, it's, it's, it's funny how the th people don't, understand the history and the actual reality of what we're doing we're, we really are moving around into a weird spot which is where Jacob and I were talking last night and which I've been talking about and you're mentioning the field courses I, I, I've been fighting PRS stuff and like where does snipers hide fit in where do we do with this how do we play I don't like the game so then, like, I'm thinking and talking with Jacob and looking at what you guys are doing with Assassin's Way, and I'm thinking, why do I have to fit in? Why can't I just have a standalone field match how I want to? And part of it is, is talking with you and looking at the effort you put in and liking the same. It's like we have all this room out here. Why not make Sniper's Hide Cup like a, a West version of Mammoth? 
without the hiking and the heavy metal gut check part, but still movement, because movement's key. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think personally, if I was gonna do movement, I'd want people to show up at a parking lot, they get a grid, and I'll meet you at the range. Mm -hmm. You know, three miles later, carry everything from your car to the match, now we'll start the match, and then we'll do our movements and different things and mix stuff up. Because that's going to limit equipment, limit things. Now, I was here at Mile High, and I, in the other room, I weighed a bunch of the rifles. A stock AI M, or AXMC with a, a Vortex Gen 2 Razor on it is 21 pounds. Wow. A stock short action with a Night Force on it is 19 pounds. Hmm. So... Think about going back in time when everybody said those rifles were too heavy. Well, they weren't. They just had an interrupted bottom, so they didn't recoil correctly. When you fix that bottom, ATX, mm -hmm. it's no longer interrupted. But the, the ATX, without the system on it, weighs 12 pounds. Put everything on it, now you're in the 16 zone unless you start weighting it up. So... What we're looking at is rifle balance. Mm -hmm. For sure. In design, yeah. in the flat bottoms, in the things like that. And so I think I can create, and Jacob's in on it with the Assassin's Way and moving it around. And, and it's, a lot of it comes from what you're doing and saying is creating a field course that tests more skills. Mm -hmm. It's got to test movement. It's got to be um, blind in a lot of ways. So you're coming up unseen. It's got to limit how you carry and what you carry. When do you use it in, in those kind of things? And then target identification. Find it, range it, engage it. Don't put targets out there in the open. Make them look for some of them. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody's going to stand there with a number plate on their chest and say, shoot me in the face. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're going to have to find people and find things and animals and whatever the case you're looking for. You're, you're hunting for that stuff. Yeah. Whether it's law enforcement, military, or hunting, you're hunting for things. Mm -hmm. So putting that back into the thing and not just saying to somebody, see right there in front of you, shoot that target four times. I mean, it, and it's funny too, uh, it, it, when we talk about, people go back in time and there was the, um, you know, sort of the when I left rifles only and hit, Jacob and I buttoned heads a little bit. You know, we, one of the biggest things we butted heads about I hated shooting a target five times, five shots on one plate. We would argue about that. It's like, it's like, no, dude, why are we shooting it five times? Nobody's gonna shoot a target five times because it was get points. One, two, you know, hundred points. Uh, uh, vent you used to be, twenty-five hits per, or you know, twenty points per hit, depending on how many shots you did. And it's like, no, let's mix it up. Let's make them do other targets. But then it was more work because you got to put more plates up. Then you got to manage them. So that's kind of the stuff that, you know, I'm looking at now. I wanna, I'm looking at progressive targets. I don't think somebody should shoot one size target out of thing. I think you should be forced to get progressively smaller till you miss and then understand where that miss comes. If we put a small, medium, large plate and you're always missing the small, but you're okay with the mediums or your percentage, that's information you could take home. Mm -hmm. I need to go practice the one MOA plate. Mm -hmm. 
And, Absolutely. And, and I think that's what your target identifies in, in, in your mindset, even with the graphs, because you're, you're looking at these things and you're able to graph not only how big a group people are shooting, but how far from center they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the missing element, exactly like you said earlier, how far from center, accuracy and precision, right? The accuracy is how far from center, the precision is how big your group. And we're always just going precise, precise, precise. But your accuracy is all over the place because we take shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. There's always the picture of the group that's tiny with a dime next to it, an inch off the point of aim. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, maybe they were just developing it and didn't have a zero. But when people start submitting these targets, I realize, oh, shit, it's a little bit over two-tenths deviation on almost all shooters across the board. A lot of really good match winners have that same shift it's just that they're very consistent and they're sub two inches on their stress test which means that they're going to have a high hit rate in competition yep. the other thing though that that um i'm going to add to your um trying to bring back more field stuff is that the rifles that everyone seems to be shooting they're not bench rest rifles or and they're not artillery or whatever that such that they're they're meant to be employed um, kind of not by surprise, but I mean, you, 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 you might Perp, come right. around a corner yes, you're supposed and you to. identify a target. Mm-hmm. But when you walk around that corner, you can't say, oh, well, I'm only good prone because you might not have a prone shot. Right. And so if, if you don't put all of your shot groups together and understand what your hit percentage is, when I say there's a, there's a four MOA target at 600 yards and you have to do it leaning out of this window and you look at the window and you say, okay, that's my high kneeling, you know, I can hit that because I shoot sub four. From a high kneeling, From right. a high kneeling because you say it doesn't matter what the position is. You know, whatever it is is going to fall into that. So you don't need to stop and think, God, I wonder if I can make that shot. You just, you, you can nail you just it. Know. Because you know mm-hmm. that your group, you know, according to the, uh, on your reticle, you could say, okay, if it's within the ones, I'm going to hit it. Or if it's within, you know, six tenths on either side, I'm going to hit it because that scales out. So now that you say, all right, I know for sure I'm a two MOA shooter, um, then you can hold up and say, okay, there's seven tenths on either side, and it's covering the target. I know no matter what, I'm going to hit this. I'm going to hit this target because the target's bigger than my bracket. Right, totally Almost like the wind bracket. The wind, I was just going to say, bracket. it's exactly pe- people. We tell people this all the time on the wind side. We're flashing the targets and looking how much air budget I have, how much space do I have, so I can bracket the wind call. Mm-hmm. But you're also looking at that same information as where my wobble zone is. Mm-hmm. Where am I going to fall out of play in this target? So when we come up and identify that target, we're kind of mentally going four tenths wide, six tenths wide, seven tenths wide. And then we're playing that quickly in our head with wind and wobble. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. And, so, and then you could say, I can't take the shot because it's not in my bracket. Right. It's not a hundred percent shot. And, and I actually, earlier today, uh, just to take a small detour, I had a conversation with somebody uh, who, who also runs other events. And I said that, um, you know, what, what I think is interesting is that we encourage impacts, but we, we don't penalize misses Ex- very often. Well, because that's why they get rid of KYL, which pissed me off, because you, you gambled and you lost. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying you can't take points away from somebody who already gained them. And it's like bullshit. Right. Who made that rule? Well, imagine 
uh, you know, I just threw this out there hypothetically. But Jacob had a had a stage that that he had two tenth tall truing bars mm -hmm. from one to a thousand. He said, "All right, you get one shot. You know, at at, at each yardage, you get the number of points that is, uh, you know, at seven hundred yards is seven points, right. eight hundred yards eight points, so on and so forth. You know, now imagine there are targets out there, and they're worth the number of points for their yardage or their size or whatever, and you get that number of points for shooting them." but you subtract if subtract you miss double for missing right so now you have to say that's a no shoot for me and that's a no shoot for me yes so rather than gambling on well i'm just going to take it and see what the hell happens and that's what they're doing because the competitors it's the inmates running the asylum want to shoot more number one don't want to lose points and when a match uh director series whatever capitulates to that it ruins the value of the event because now you can take useless risks. Yes, tomorrow you may improve because if I take enough useless risks, I'm gonna eventually learn something. And no, when I risked this, I was off this 10th here. I risked it again, I was off in the same place. Mm -hmm. So next time I risk it, I'm gonna throw that 10th in. And now I start hitting it. So I did four useless risks that meant nothing, but now I'm a huge point winner generator because I did that where if he got penalized he would have stopped short and never got to that next level which is artificial in my mind yeah and I mean, so a it'll teach you where your responsible zone is so, mm -hmm. so you've got these competitive I love that, that term like, okay you've got a rifle in your truck and there's somebody robbing a bank down there with a hostage you know the competitor might say fuck it I'm gonna take this shot where somebody who who knows their the consequences zone, they yep. say, well shit you know if I miss this guy there's unintended consequences and they haven't trained that. So that's an aspect of training that in a field event could be uh, added in, employed very effectively because you have to do problem solving and you've got this thing that's, that's meant to deliver energy, but there's no downside to the other 50% of its use, right. right? So I can gut shot a deer and, and it's like, well, wait a minute, like that's, that's like an unethical shot, mm -hmm. How, but I didn't train that. I just trained shooting at a giant deer plate and I hit it on the tail and I got my point. Mm -hmm. I hit it on the nose and, got and I got my point. I didn't train. I caught an antler, it, right? got my yeah, point. Right, right. So, um, you know, I thought that that could be an interesting way to add uh, a scoring system to, to train ethical shots kind of in the field by saying, you know, for me, as I progress as a shooter, I've deemed this a no shoot. I'm going to pass it, I'm going to go to the next one. And this is a shoot. So that's shoot. how this stuff was supposed to have been, where you, you use these scenarios. We did an 11-foot, 1-inch shot at rifles only. We had cop cars in the middle of the night in the carbine pit with the lights on, spinning, the sirens going. You came up in between the cars. There was a board with a 1-inch dot. I think it might have been a quarter-inch dot. It was smaller at 11 feet because it was a cop shot in a trailer. He came up, he used the guy's shoulder in a hostage situation, and he took a cop shot from 11 feet, one inch. We put that in the sniper's hide match, shot it. You had to use your 1,200-yard dope. And it should be something like that should be negative points if you miss because... Because you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. Yes, in a trailer. And, and <laughs> before I, I get too far ahead of my... I, I want to go with the rifle craft stuff with your videos because you film everything and put it up. And you just, before I came out here today, I, we j you did a video over the weekend with uh, the Lilies. Mm -hmm. 
in your target analysis with them and the different things you were talking about is something worth watching for everybody out there. So Riflecraft with a K, go look at Chris's YouTube videos. He, he links me on Facebook and you can find his stuff um, all around Sniper's Hide. Guys post it. But just listening to your analysis with them and talking about because they're wondering, you know, I mean, can I just break, if you remember some of it, break down like some of the conversation. Okay, so they wanted to run the drill in person, and I think that's really cool because, you know, they're they're both motivated. Oh, huge motivated people, yeah. And, and, and they're really intelligent, so they're able to say, like, there's value to anything that they're going to learn. And, and like me, we've been spending this year, you know, trying to come to shooters like you and mm-hmm. Jacob and talk to Philip and Kalen and say, all right, you guys produce good shooters. So, you know, let's let's try to learn from you. So they wanted to see what, what uh, we could figure out from doing the craft assessment. And I think the whole shooter approach, the first thing when you identify as a competitor is it's kind of a kick in the nuts because you say, I, I do the same thing. My gun, it, this load is a half inch and I just shot a two inch group. What the hell's wrong with me? Well, it just identifies that you've got work to do and mm-hmm. we all have work to do. And, and sometimes you have a good day, sometimes you have a bad day, um, but bringing in all of those errors and I think that what I've seen from shooters, because I've been coaching a couple guys that are local and, and competing um, while I train, is that the widest shots are what I call the lowest hanging fruit. And so when, you, when you're pulling a shot left or right, that, you know, I, don't, I don't count any of those shots as, as flyers. I think that they're, you're, you're making a mistake and mm-hmm. under stress, subconsciously, you're doing something to pull a shot. We so. attach the word flyer to it, but it has nothing to do with what happened. Yeah, you because know, it's like it, Because to... the flyer always happens to the same people. Yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to get rid of the responsibility yes. that, that you yes. have something that you do, and you, you might only do it 20% of the time, but you're definitely doing, doing it. it. It's pretty consistent on most shooters. It and, usually is. I mean, the consistent, we are so consistent that even like cold bore, the cold mind, cold body, people will do the same thing wrong every single time and swear it's not them. And it's like, dude, that's you. No way, because every single time it's exactly this far away. That's you. Mm-hmm. You're a robot inside and you don't even know it. And, and it, 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 I, I was going to say something else too, um, talking about the um and i just lost it but anyway yes the, the stuff you were doing and the way you were coaching i think it's worth to watch those videos because they're just so illuminating in and especially when you have a competitor that's hyper competitive and they're trying to diagnose and you're like no nah, you're, you're no motion with it you're just like no that's reality mm-hmm. and people are emotionally invested in those shots for sure and 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 so that's where you have to kind of take that and I really do think that's part of the difference between like me and someone else is I'm no longer emotionally tied to that shot. Now it's hitting the technical, you know, hitting my marks on the track and I'm not excited whether or not I hit it. I just know I have to hit it when I don't. Yeah. I'm a little angry at myself. Go fix it. But really it just comes down to hitting the marks. Yeah. Because you know, you want to, you, you want to gain skill. Um, Somewhere I heard a, Somebody talking about I, I didn't I didn't watch the Michael Jordan documentary or something like that, but they said he made a lot of cool shots, right? But he also missed like more than any he made more than anybody, but he missed more than anybody because he was willing to to, right. to to make those misses, trying to grow 
And, and as a shooter, if we're training on paper, we're trying new things, we might miss, we might, our group might grow a little bit as we gain that understanding, but we're gaining an understanding of our capabilities with a system that's readable. And if you know, you're missing all your shots left, you need to go to somebody, you know, you need mm -hmm. to go to like you. You need to go to Philip. You need to go to Kalen or Jacob to say, I have a fundamental issue here. You know, what is it? And that, that's probably the biggest bang for your buck to say, I've identified an issue, right? It's like going to, to yeah. WebMD and saying, you know, I've got these symptoms, but rather than, you know, running to a pharmacy and trying to get all sorts of meds, you say, look, this is worth me paying you $1,000 to fix me versus just keep going to matches and paying, you know, 2000 bucks to go to a match. Yeah. And like, I fucking missed all the stupid shots off the left side. It's like, yeah, well, all your misses are left. And that's what we identified with Michael is that something that he's doing, all of his misses were left. And they weren't just like barely left. It was... I know what it is, but know, nobody can believe me. Inches to the left. They're so, staring at their bubble and their eyes get pulled to that side. And they're fucking... It's their mind because they look at their fucking bubble and their bubble's on the left side of the gun and they look left and they go left. Interesting. That's Interesting. what they're doing. They don't want to hear it, but that's, that's exactly what he's doing because they keep looking. It's like a horse. If you look, the horse will go. Yeah. You're looking off center to check shit. Your body's going to drift that way. Man, I guarantee that's what it is. That would be freaking awesome. I mean, but, but the cool thing about Mike and Keeley is that they understand that they've got room to grow. Mm -hmm. And so you could tell them like, hey, you know, yeah. this is knowledge that's going to propel you forward beyond mm -hmm. the capability. Of if they were going to go shoot Brian that. Morgan's place at Hat Creek, throw the level on your gun, dude. No problem. You're shooting a PRS match. There is nothing you're doing far enough that you're screwed up to look at that level. Now, maybe on a little microscopic target, you need an extra second, like a, a, a sub MOA. Mm -hmm. Yes, there could be the difference between a miss or a hit on a bag, mm -hmm. for sure. So you know what that means? It's a smaller, higher priority target. Take a second, settle the gun in the bag, gravity will work for you, widen your feet and get your head straight, and then focus on the target. But the speed element of it is look at the level, line the level up, point and hit the target. Mm -hmm. I get that because I'm trying to beat a clock. But Frank, personally, if I was going to be doing this and I'm not racing a clock, all I'm going to do is go, that target's smaller, all my stuff better be right. I'm going to bring my legs out a little bit wider. I'm going to straighten myself up a little bit. I'm going to let go of the rifle for a millisecond and yeah. see where it relaxes and rests. Then I'm gonna come back to it on the target and if I got time, I could do that twice mm -hmm. and double check my natural point of aim and fine tune it. Cause mm -hmm. it's all an NPA at that point. The level is helping you with natural point of aim. And so now if I go, let go, let go. And I'm just, I'm not disengaging from the rifle. I'm just relaxing with it. And then if I did that twice on the small target, and if I know my wind calls and everything are good, I should hit it. But if I'm racing over to it and I'm off my belly and I'm on a barricade, MPA is much more important. And if I'm speeding to something and don't have time to set my feet, set my body, the level's my next best friend. Mm -hmm. But what's the problem with that is my MPA could still be off left or right, exactly like you're saying, 
although I've leveled up the gun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is that sort of disconnect, and it's a compromise, I get it, man. It's speed versus accuracy. Where do we put those in? So we want to have that speed, and we're trying to balance that accuracy, and the, ba- and the fix is look at the level. But that's, that's where the problem, I think, comes in is because when we do it so fast and we look at something before we set, we point to where we looked. Right, right. You yeah, know? I think- I think there's there, be cur- curious to do a test. Yes, to totally. Could, like, Check, you know what? Paper. Cover one and don't cover yeah. it and don't and put it back. And, and I'm not like I said, people mistake. Like I'll troll you. I'll make fun of people with levels and make mistakes. People don't realize I understand context better than most people because my context goes a lot farther back. You know, my history and time, my examples go really far back in time. So my context might be a little broader than somebody else's, mm-hmm. but I always, I don't just say it sucks. There's always context mm-hmm. and that's the missing part. But um, I think just, you know, you work in those guys and it's, it's like you're building break, building break, shaving seconds. Mm-hmm. When you, because te- think how, how was your progression? Did you see your time just repeating the process and then did you realize that maybe my feet shouldn't be here think about your early days of build and break when you first started the craft i I put up video and and um you know i've still got them posted so i'll have like two years ago you posted this and and it's a video i think oh shit i'm moving really slow and i'm awkward and 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 trying to refine okay i took 10 steps and i started to watch the pistol shooters because the way they train is very mechanically efficient because mm-hmm. they're not worried about missing because they hit them all. Right. It's just about how do I move through here without stopping. Um, and I started to shave out movements and figure out, okay, I need to be an arm's width back from the target so that when I put my bag down, it's extended. That support hand is now fixed. Mm-hmm. I get my rifle aimed at the target. I get behind my rifle. And I don't have to look for the target because I drop my eye down over the turret into the glass and mm-hmm. I've got a sight picture. I can come in and get my recoil management set up. I can check my dials before I you know, start to my exhale and then do the shot process. And working each of those step-by-step uh, step, took my, my build and break times from something like 25 seconds to sub 10 seconds in, in a lot of instances. Um, what, what, and, and, and you could see that. I tracked my numbers from you know, shooting in the 60s in the NRLs to eventually getting a first place at an NRL. Uh, but at that point, you know, I'm a field shooter, and, and I'm, I'm less concerned about performance at, at those types of matches as I am trying to get my uh, ability well-rounded. And yeah. so what I've yeah. been doing is I've been taking off weight of the rifle. Mm-hmm. And, and so my, my rifle is about 17 pounds, and my goal is to get it sub-16. Are you still balancing it, trying to keep the weight in certain places? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, and trying to have less less bags or lighter bags, so I shoot with a get light bag. And, um, and now, because, uh, because Jacob had a shooting with the sling, A, that exacerbates natural point of aim flaws. Big time. So the groups are still centered, but now instead of shooting a two inch group, I'm shooting a four inch group. And I like that. I like grabbing something or and, taking away something and right. saying, okay, I'm gonna be more, I'm gonna try to move towards that minimalist approach but 
Now, because all of those flaws are exaggerated, if that four comes down, if I ended up having to use a bag, it's gonna be it's gonna be really good. Yeah, you have a two, but meanwhile, you've been everybody everybody around you is probably a four guy because they're not putting in the effort you are. You brought your four down to a two and a half, which your bag might be a two. Mm-hmm. So when you get bag options, you're running around everybody else. But once that bag option disappears, you have a, a head start. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I'm using these matches as kind of testing grounds for lighter bags, lighter rifle, um, so that when the field matches come into play, I won't have to say, okay, now I got to adjust mm-hmm. to that stuff. I'm I'm trying to bring my overall ability down towards across the board and. At Sniper Venture Challenge, my rifle was 17 pounds, and we went 60, 60 plus miles. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I can't carry it that, but it's that it sucks. I get know, it. It would be cool to have it 13 or 12 pounds mm-hmm. and be able to perform just as well. And I'm really surprised. I, I have I got one of Jacob's. I got two of Jacob's slings, the rifles only slings mm-hmm. with the bungee in the back. Yep, yep. And it's got a Cobra buckle, and you know, getting into that sling on a barricade and the technique is a little different, right? Pushing the bipod into the front of the barricade and pulling back on the sling. Um, if I do that, I could shoot inch and a half off off those barricade supported right, right. positions. Um, off of his post with the with the um, five fifty cord around it, mm-hmm. we were shooting a pretty big target. But uh, I popped the cobra buckle and threw it around the post and just pulled it tight, like the you know some like carbine slicker shooter sometimes yep. put the tension on it and that damn thing locked was in. like it was locked in a vice and that's was- how we did everything down there with slings i mean we designed all those slings down there we we had the canadians came in with a, a homemade sling we took it and deconstructed it and created the tab gear slings and then created the um uh, rifles only slings but we did because we were all the military guys carried slings. Mm-hmm. We refined slings because the minimalist approach, and if you look at the top guys now, they're all going super minimalist. One bag, their rifles are built and designed to work that way. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're seeing the better guys are managing less gear. You know, and that's always, and then the military side, run what you brung. And the sling was there, so that's why rifles only excelled at slings because yeah. we had to deal with slings. Well, in the past, I'd played with slings, but I think I was putting torque into the chassis, so I was yes. getting weird shifts. But ARs, you could pull them hard too. You can yeah. really um, bipods and slings will actually throw ARs off if you put so much tension in. If you semi-autos, mm-hmm. you can even in the prone, if you load one foot on on the bipod on certain ARs. It'll throw your shots crazy. Just load a foot, like load against something, but only load one foot and watch what happens with an AR and the rounds are going to go. And um, so we had to understand all that because this is all the products the military guys were using, the Mark 12s, the Mark 11s, you know. And so you, you have those two platforms being there and Mark 11 is just a 110, same thing. And, and all those platforms are showing up in you got to get these guys on on target with them under these conditions and so that's why you start to look at them experiment what's throwing them off why did you miss and in that's where jacob's understanding of that and being able to design stages around it work to his advantage and to me that's part of the lost art today is in course course of fire design stage design because they're repeating themselves so often because they're not looking at 
these elements in, from not only an employment standpoint, but a training standpoint and, you know, an equipment standpoint. Yeah. I mean, because, right, you're in the field. You're either going to, it's either going to be strapped inside a ruck or it's going to be slung. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to, to try to get familiar with this sling. But shooting paper with a sling, I've been really surprised how good it'll shoot. Um, you know, I, uh, the offhand I've got work to do, and some of it's that, that you know, I'm trying to get the weight down. But um, I, can, I can shoot with, with some preparations if, if I'm, because if normally I'll do the craft drill on, a, on, a, on tripods, and I can't quite do it the same on a tripod with the sling, but if I put a hard barricade that I could lean into, mm-hmm. um, the tripod wants to kick match, up. I can almost match my bag score mm-hmm. with the sling now. And I've been doing it for a couple of weeks, but I've done it quite a few times. Right. Because I said, I'm, you know. You're a five day a week guy at the range. <laughs> well, I'm usually there two or three days. Yeah, two or three. Yeah. A lot of times it's yeah. testing very specific things. So rather than doing like, um, you know, competition training, it's like, it's testing that. Like, all right, I'm going to shoot 20 or 30 rounds from these positions, you know, as best I can with a bag. And then I'm gonna do the exact same thing with a sling because I really want um, the original craft challenge. And, and in fact, you're the reason it's 12 rounds now mm-hmm. uh, because my original one was 30 shots. Yeah. It was 10 positions, one shot each, go through that three times. And, and you suggested, why don't we make it, you know, it's familiar to people to do standing, kneeling, seating, prone. And I was like, you know what, that's smart. And you see basically the same data. I do three yeah. sets for, for competition people. Um, and I told this to Michael. And, and I did it for myself. And I did it for, for I call him Mooj, Jimmy. Um, you, do the, you do the stress test three times. You could do it on the same paper. Um, this not. is the beauty of that target. You can, yeah. Your only limitation is your imagination. And you can replicate an entire match doing it. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that... It's very, very close. If you do the stress test three times and you measure the hit percentage within 1.5 MOA, it's going to be really, really close close to your your hit percentage at a match. Nice. And I think that rather than your score, you know, something like rifles only, it's it's tough because there are those um, high point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has high round count sometimes, like 20 shots. Well, but there's also the one shot for 10 points. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and so if, if you make those shots, it's awesome. But if you miss it, you know, your points goes down, but your mm-hmm. hit percentage didn't well, change and, a whole And that was the thing I saw down there, too, because people freak out with rifles only, is you, you can be in 10th place in three stages later in 35th. Yeah, yeah. And then you can go, like, two stages later and be in 15th, but then three <laughs> stages later in 55th. Right, right. It jumps so crazy because of those type of stages. Yeah. So it's really kind of like, oh, shoot, what do I do? Yeah. So, but, but you know, I, I think that that lines up also with your identifying with your particular shot pattern and your hit percentage. If you say my hit percentage is going to be 75% and you hit 75%, you had a good match. Mm-hmm, totally. But the thing is, like, you know, a lot of match placements, all that really is is who didn't come to the match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if, if I go to the AG Cup and there's a hundred of the very best shooters and, and I sh- and I shoot my best match ever and I shoot let's say eighty five percent, I might be fiftieth place. I was just gonna say you could be somewhere, who knows? You could be fifteenth, you could be fifth, you could be fiftieth, we don't right. know. Right. So that's a metric that although it feels really good to get a trophy and it feels really mm-hmm. good to do well, if if it, what happens if you get first place, but you shoot 70% and you were expecting 80? 
Yeah. Now, do you feel good about it or not? Because to me, I'd feel bad. And I want to shoot, I want my percentage to climb in proportion to the numbers that I see on paper. So I know if I have to walk out this door and shoot a deer and I can range it and say, okay, it's at 600 yards and I shoot two MOA. So I've got some wiggle room still. Mm -hmm. I can take that shot. Right. And, and if I can't, then I could say, all right, I got to close ground on it or not shoot. But, um, I, I like that as, as somebody who I, I kind of feel like I'm on a quest to, to you know, like, or, or you hear about samurai and, 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 or video games that are on quests. Mm-hmm, you know, totally. To learn the art of, of rifle shooting. And that means that, you know, in five years, none of the competitions that are around now, they might not be here. The same. They but probably the, won't. People that love shooting, they will be here. Yeah. And so whatever the application is, you want to be able to adapt to it, I think. Well, and that's the thing I was talking, like I said, I was talking with Jacob and I did a post on Sniper's Hide and just talking with you and, and, and understanding, it's kind of more being reflective and saying, what do I like in a match? What did I not like and what pushed me away? And then it's like, I have my own match. It's part of the RTC, uh, you know, Clinton, Carl do it up there in Colville. And it's like, well, the sniper's height doesn't have to be anything. It could be whatever I want it to be. It doesn't ha- and so I'm like, well, talking with Jacob last night about the uh, the coyote stuff and about the assassin's way, and I'm like, well, we all we we have we're like minded in in what we want to accomplish. You know, he's got one planned. I have a different, but the skill sets are similar, mm-hmm. and we're kind of looking at playing those together as just being independent. And not being something where you have to chase a score over a season, where for the people out there who are more interested in this, we're going to give them a few more options. We're going to do this field stuff. We're talking, we're moving chess pieces. I'm thinking in 2022, Sniper's Hide from the competition standpoint is going to be completely revamped. It's going to be a whole field thing. It's going to be here in Colorado again. It'll be probably someplace else. It's going to move around the field, and it's going to be designed to test all this stuff and to do all these skill sets, and it's not going to be a free ride thing. You're not going to be able to walk up with your 22-pound 6-millimeter, drop it on a bag, and get away because that might work for one stage. It's not going to work for the rest. And I'll give you the one stage to do it, but to me, that's where it it's, it's, it's needs to change to affect bigger change. Let people see it. I've talked about it enough. I talked to the PRS last week when I was in California. They don't care. They're doing their own thing. They're happy with what they're doing. They see their growth as positive. I don't. So at this point, everybody knows my position. So now it's like, okay, I'm just going to do it myself, build my own. And fortunately, I don't have to do it myself because there's a bunch of like-minded people who've already reached out. Yeah. So yeah. I think your mindset, your training approach, the elements to be a well-rounded rifleman that you represent is a, is, is a great beginning of the path. I want to get on this path. Riflecraft is one of the tools to use to get on this path, you know, for people who want to go down the fundamental path. That's not a gear engineer or light trigger race, you know? So that's kind of where my head's at. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, whatever, whatever you <laughs> hey, do. Well, I, knew feel. I think that yeah. 
that, you know, anything that helps somebody understand their personal capabilities and open up at least part of the path to where they need to go to improve, mm -hmm. you know, that that's really important to somebody's longevity in anything. Because you, know, you don't want to just get slapped down and say, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I keep sucking. And you don't want to just, you know, like a Disney movie, just hope that you wake up tomorrow, you know, this super sniper yeah, that right, shoot right. everything. Cause yeah, that, yeah, there's no Shazam, man. And we can't go in the room and yell Shazam and then, right, you right. know, to get, get a lightning bolt on our chest. Um, and so it opens up your awareness of how do I grow? Those field events, they do that they, for mm -hmm. sure because, uh, you know, somebody might go from point A to point B and go, shit, I need to exercise. Mm -hmm. Somebody might not need to exercise. They might need, oh, God, I can't, I can't range very well or I can't find targets very well. Well, shit, then that's their new path. And I may even be so open where if there's an older guy who's saying, well, Frank said he's going to show up and give you a grid and you got to show up here. I may say, if you show up with a four-wheeler, see you there. Yeah, yeah. I don't I mean, care. You know what I mean? If, 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 if you want to be mechanized to get to point A to point B for me, I may be okay with that. And I'm, I'm because the military's mechanized with things like that. They got dirt bikes and four-wheelers and jetpacks now and shit. And, and you know, we can, we can be a solo fly guy. But the, the thing is, is a, this was designed originally to hone skills that our military and law enforcement can then take advantage of. And yes, bags have led to that. Tripod development has led to that. But our rifles have kind of moved outside of it because until the military switches over to a flat bottom rifle, there's, there's again, that interrupted recoil. Mm -hmm. And so now you have to understand what that looks like. And so I still want to play in that pond that'll feed the um, military lake as far as mindset versus feeding a pond that goes into the game side or the video game side or, you know, how can I build a better mousetrap? Like uh, bench rest engineering, you know, like in bench rest, it's all how can I, you know, do more to eliminate the shooter. Mm -hmm. I need to make my, per my, my tolerances perfect. I need to put this in a rest. I need to do everything I can to eliminate me. So I'm pure engineering. And that's kind of where our rifles are today right now as compared to an AI or, or, you know, minus the AT now with the chassis change. It just goes to show you what that flat bottom does. I mean, you saw it. Your group was insane with that gun. Yeah, yeah. It was the best group I've, I've ever shot, especially and, and considering it was 6.5 Creedmoor. You know, Which goes to show you mm -hmm. that that balance and design of the rifle, you took it, you got a purpose-built rifle that lowered the center of gravity and put it as close to the bottom of the chassis as possible, mm -hmm. okay? And that versus my other AIs was noticeable, but you even noticed it next to your game gun because when we compared that rifle to, the, to my game gun, which is set up like yours, mm -hmm. it was a half inch lower right. at the bolt. Right. It made a, a it, surprising amount of difference. It made difference, which is crazy. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, think there's, I think there's definitely a risk in getting away from why these rifles were made in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so if, I think if we pretend that they're not made for military and law enforcement use, hunting use, then there's a risk of 
of, of running into other complications. Well, then we're Olympic target shooters. Yeah, and so we've got these systems that are meant to be employed in a variety of conditions, in a variety of contexts, and I think, you know, they, if we, an, an interesting add-on to the competition thing is, is Scott Satterley, he's, you know, he's got some really cool matches, and mm-hmm. he's been involved with the, trying to unify the global competition scene. And the, the, what they're running up against is that different countries have different laws. For sports, right. What on. constitutes a sport? But other countries also, uh, culturally, there's a lot of hunters in, mm-hmm. in, in Northern Europe, and, and they want to be able to apply them back and forth. So if, if there's a vision that if, if we lose the application of the rifles in the field, we also lose part of the world as, in the vision, as, right. as creating this... this um, you know, sport or competition that everybody around the world can agree these rifles were meant to do this kind of stuff. Yes. And 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 so, um, you know, I'm excited to see where where those things go and develop, and and you know, hopefully one day, you know, I'll shoot well enough to to qualify to go compete at stuff like that. But um, those perspectives, I think, are really important, and, and it's really from shooters like you, and Scott, and Jacob that have been around to see the trends kind of even out and come and go and say, wait a minute, you know, this rifle was meant to hunt a moose. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to hunt a moose with a 30-pound rifle, you know, not unless you're shooting it off your truck. Right. Um, and um, the way my knees are today, I had enough trouble walking up to the approach on El Dorado over there going up. I did one of the, um, I did the corner at El Dorado. I, I told you what it was. It has a name. Um, I, it was like a 5.7 pitch or 5.8, something like that. But it, it's on the edge. And I, if I heard the name, I would know it immediately. It was like a swim fan or swim something or S, S thing. Anyway, you walk yeah. up those approaches with nothing, just a climb. Yeah, yeah. You're a little out of breath, man, up here. Right, right, right. You know, uh, but that's kind of my point. Now you got to carry a 30-pound gun right. and then carry the moose down. <laughs> Yeah, forget it. How much Unless, extra meat you gonna carry? That you're gonna lose with your gun. You yeah, know that you kind of stuff. Of yeah, friends or something. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Your four wheeler. But, but I think that those perspectives are important because people are gonna want to do things that that kind of open up their light world experience, not narrow it. Mm-hmm. And if it narrows it too much, then you run into problems and and people fight. And you see a lot of the fighting about um, the PRS. You know, having a you know it's their shit and NRL and. I don't, I don't totally understand it because I haven't been immersed into it as long. I'm kind of like, fuck it, I want to do everything. Right, right. Um, nobody owns any of that. No, like, well, that, and that's part, and part like, of it is, is really just, it's a mindset where uh, Shannon feels the PRS is, is, is the pinnacle and everything should focus towards that. And when I kind of reached out and said, well, wait a minute, why can't we all just work together and do all this? And he goes, well, I offered that. And I told the NRL, they're lacking in center fire. They should just stick to 22 and give me all the center fire. And it's like, well, how's that fair, dude? And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And, but that's the mindset. And that's where my problem is, is because then that homogenizes everything. And now we're going to be doing every event like a PRS event. I'm, I don't like them anymore. Right, right. They, they've moved away from, in, uh, like Tom, Tom Fuller, a great guy, super ambassador of the sport. Mm-hmm. He's coming on these threads with the fights, and he's like, hey, man, people just have fun. But yeah, you're not working. I can go to the golf course here and ask every guy on the golf course right now, are you having fun? And they're like, I'm not working. I'm not home with the kids. I'm not doing this. Of course I'm having fun. Of course when you're there in the moment, you're having fun. 
but it's that you don't know what you don't know, one aspect of it. Two, doing the same thing over and over again starts to not be fun anymore. And, and so it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a false flag to say you're having fun at a match. Of course you are. You're around 100 people like-minded and you're not working. But what are you getting out of it? What are you doing? We're, what can you take away from that? Is it just a case where I'm going there and feeding the system, spending money, in, in, in walking away? Or is there a learning aspect to it? Is there a training aspect to it? Is there, is there a higher ask, a something? And I think it's, it's gone now today. I think that, that element I'm looking for is missing. And I think I can bring it back with a field by doing a standalone. I wanna walk through training day with a clinic. I wanna do a, uh, like your first day of center fire. The second day you go on the course and let rim fire people do it. Just move the target closer. Do the same thing. Then that afternoon, reset the entire course. And then on Sunday morning, the center fire people can go back and redo it again, but it'll be different because we moved it the day before. So there's three looks I can play with. I can bring you in Thursday, training, talk people, clinics, walk through, what are you gonna, what are you gonna figure out? Vendors, all different stuff. Friday, you start the match. Saturday, you bring kids in and do 22s, the same exact match. You could do whatever and jungle run it. And then Saturday afternoon, you reset it, have dinner and a banquet for everybody. Sit them around, talk, whatever. Have a party on Saturday night, mm -hmm. okay? Sunday, you're going to get up and you're going to finish by one o'clock and we'll go home. And we can do all these things in, in, in a way that has these elements of an event. It doesn't click off. We're gonna make put people together. I want, hey man, I want all the center fire people on Friday. You're now a mentor on Saturday. You're gonna go with a squad and you're gonna take a kid and you're gonna walk them through and you're gonna train the little kids to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Bring your kid, bring somebody else's kid, whatever. But then on Sunday you go back to working and it just becomes this a destination, an event. You're taking advantage. It's going to require more work. It requires more land. And it's going to require a real target package. Okay. You can make real money doing it too. And I'm probably going to do the Jim C model, drop the uh, thing to 150 bucks for the entry fee. I'm going to take get rid of the $300 entry fees that I started. And I'll go back like Jim C's doing 150 now. Yeah, I so mean, there, anyway, there's facilities that could could do that. Like we, we got them out here. And, yeah, and, uh, those those places. Are Rifle Quigley's place can do it, right? You got all the CDs can do it. All their places between Douglas and um, uh, Blue Steel. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a ton of places out here that could be done. Cody's in the Wyoming's in the different places. So. I don't, that's where my head's at, and that's kind of where I'm just going to do it. I'm, I, you know, we're, we don't have to argue about it anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I got everybody's. I know where I talked to them. We settled it. Nothing settled. We're never going to agree. It was a circular argument. We're done. I'm just going to go do my own thing. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, I, I think I said it before to you. It's like, you know, we're doing this thing that, that's pretty diverse. Right. There's lots of different applications, ELR, bench rest, F-class, service, whatever, so on and so forth. It's, it's like comparing different types of dance. Mm -hmm. Everybody got caught up because they think that 
that like pole dancing yeah. is the ultimate. So right now we're in this like pole dancing brawl and talking about, you know, what pole shine is better than another and forgetting that there's a lot of ways to dance. Yes. And even though that's pretty cool, it might not be for everybody. And, right. and with, with rifle shooting, man, there's so many cool options and ideas that what what's available now won't allow for, you know, like the, the run and gun and the range and the find. And it the would if they would, but see, they've got set in their ways and it's become easy and automatic. Mm -hmm. Let's just do the stage like this. Let's just do this and repeat what I saw over there. And because nobody's going to question you, if I go to your match, if you're a match director, if I go to your match and you're doing stages like everybody else did them at the last match, nobody's going to say, Chris, what's going on, dude? But if you start throwing monkey wrenches in the friggin' thing, people are going to go, you know how it is. It might not be bad, but they're going to go, whoa, 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 what's Chris totally, doing? Totally, totally. But and, they're and, already doing that because, you know, the... There's a there's a skill stage. I don't know what it's called, but you know where you get a, you go prone and then you run back. Mm -hmm. and you run back and shoot prone, and people complain that well that's too hard, physically. And it's like, well, holy fuck! Like we can't agree on anything. So why even why even bother? You know, that's why I think it would be fun for yeah. us to get you know a dozen shooters and we each make the two of the craziest stages we could think of that would just yes. be fun as fuck. And let's just do these. You know, then if there's six or seven of us, we've got. 18 stages. I think there's going to be in. a bit of that up north in June. Yeah. If I'm here, I'm going to be part of that. Um, but there's going to be some of that. That's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems really cool to say, okay, let's expose you to something new. Mm -hmm. Because we've got all these people thinking outside the box. And then most of them might suck and be like, yeah, that's not going to work with a lot of people. But right. there might be something that goes, but... This was change awesome. one piece of that yeah. and now it does right and that takes having other minds there to say that's a cool idea we can't really run it like that but what about this and then all the lights go on and we have these matches that have more than just can i shoot you know the prs yeah. barricade well and that's what you mentioned Saturday. Saturday has seconds. such a deep well of experience putting on matches doing these events all across the country not just the northwest down to the southeast and now in, in, he's fallen out of favor with the, the PRS crowd, so they're trying to silence the voice because they only want one voice where we really need all, that was the, that's what's missing from before. We all put our input in. And it was, it was a mix of, hey, we used to sit around at the end of these events. You know, there's videos of us drunk at one o'clock in the morning, go watch Frank's spin D's and all that, and I'm all drunk at one in the morning with the Wind Cheater Pro. And we would talk about these events and say, hey, man, that event was really cool, but what if you did this? Mm -hmm. And we, yes, right. next time we're doing that. Yeah. And for us, the brawl, we had the brawl in the cup. The brawl was just experimentation for the cup because we wanted a signature events at the cup. So we used to play around at the brawl and invent something that we could maybe work and use. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's the missing element by saying one voice should rule. Yeah. And that's kind of where the argument comes in, where you're saying nobody should own it. One voice shouldn't be above in a way because it, it, 
it homogenizes it. Then that one, that whatever he likes is what happens. Right, yeah. I and mean, cut the gene pool to nothing. Right. And so in like, yeah, I don't, I, I totally don't get that because I think what we need more of is Scott's Arleys. So yes. when they say, I, I, didn't, I didn't quite understand it and it seems completely ludicrous. He's smart, he's strategic. He's been well, he just fell out of favor. That's it's just no different than me falling out of favor with him or Scott. All it and, and this is, but that's just schoolyard. Yeah, bullshit. but it will. Like, and, and here's the here's the we need more Scotts. Yes, the more <laughs> the, the, the like, I pick high level fights. Like I don't pick fight with Chris. I pick a fight with a group that Chris might be in, type of thing. So I said, listen, I don't like the way that group is. And I don't say I don't like Chris. But what happens is in that group, Chris now says, I don't like what I'm seeing either because over time it always happens. And then Chris walks out of the group and he goes, you know what, Frank? Who's the first person that comes to mind? Frank was saying this about the group. Now I see this about the group. I walk out of the group and the first one they go to is Frank. And they tell me all the inside stuff of the group. Now, it might be he said, she said, so Frank only implies a lot of it and doesn't give a, 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 on this day, at this time on Tuesday, Chris and Frank spoke about this. I may just say, there was a conversation about something that happened because I can't tell you on Tuesday at one o'clock, Chris and Frank spoke. I can, but I can't prove it. And Chris and Frank can say, nah, we didn't do that. Nah, no, we didn't do that. Fucking, he's crazy. And... That's what they don't understand is under those umbrellas, there's always dissent. And the dissent is going to run right to my door and tell me. And, and yeah, it's difference of opinion in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's not enough to be. It's, it's a game. We're yeah, playing a yeah. game. Who right. cares? Making it personal. I, I right. mean, I've seen a lot of fuckery at competitions that would probably blow up the Internet. Oh, easily. But. But you'd have to have a picture of it. people are worthless. Right. You'd have to have a picture to prove it. But it doesn't even matter because they're just worthless pieces of dirt. Like, let them fuck because they won't be around in five years. No, they won't. And and you see that. A lot of comers and goers. I mean, look at who are the staples in the industry who've been around for the 20 and 30 years. And look at who are the comers and goers in the last. PRS is only, um, you know, eight years old now. Who's come and gone in the last eight years? Who was there competing in the first seasons? And who's not there today? You know, where did they move to? Like the, we talk about uh, Rob and Tony moved to 22s and moved out. You know, we can point to these people, but I don't know. It's the, the drama's part is, is, is a necessary evil, I think. But what it's, it's doing, funny. it is funny. I, that, I look at it that it opens the door to now like Jacob and I talking field courses again. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about pairing up rifles only and snipers hide again because we we've said it enough individually i don't like it i don't like it i don't so finally it's like we know how to do it better let's just do it and and that's where we're at now and 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 that'll just be what happens but we're not gonna we don't need long-term series we don't need to track your scores over 10 matches we could do three and let you go play wherever you we we all fit in is the bottom line yeah, I mean, but if you have a lab match and then a yes. serious match and then a festival match, I mean, people love to shoot and and they and in one and hand they the vote with their wallets. What they should be doing. But if there's not other things available, they'll go do what is available. Yes. But when more things open, 
I, I imagine. I don't think that there's a whole heck of a lot of loyalty. I think people are going to go towards what's cool. Absolutely. They'll go where, they're, they'll go where it's cheaper, mm-hmm. they'll go where it's shorter to drive, and they'll yeah. go where they have the most fun. Yeah. And, and that's where it's going to come down to. Um, and if they grow as shooters right. as a result and make friends that aren't just like, oh, you got 60th place, you yeah, totally yeah. suck, and you can't afford to buy a $500 you know, iron plate for the bottom of your rifle and it's like boy whoa, wait a minute wait a minute we're like spiraling down mm-hmm. this freaking drain um when when more things become available people will migrate to those as as their interest expands yes and applying it to something cooler and i think you know like well you had mentioned doing a 22 thing with with a with a trail yeah right there right shooting. where you saw where we were right there on that back side would be perfect yeah. And how fun was that? I mean, as soon as you said that, I thought, God, I just want to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it <laughs> because that sounds so fun. And it's so much different than, you know, you, you've got a little plate here at 200 and another what, what plate What I'm going to do is I'm going to go, we, we need to grab your truck. We, we'll go grab like all those LaRue's that are just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And we'll go put those out there and just leave them because who cares if LaRue's and they're not working. So we'll put a, the sucker rod behind it to hold it up. And we'll just drop a LaRue and we could do the 22 run, but then we can start adding in better targets down the road and cultivating that into a nice jungle run. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like golfing for the day. And and then it really is like, all right, cool. I got par whatever on this. And I don't have to worry about what Josh Moe scored. Right? Yep. You know, because it's you versus you. And, And I think that that, if that could get capitalized on it, if we could create a system like with the craft, like with your competitions, mm-hmm. where you're trying to better yourself. And eventually, there might be, you know, I mean, yeah, there'll, there'll be, be repeats. Still people, be, the, you saw yeah. a picture, the next guy will see a picture, mm-hmm. the next guy will see a picture. Cool, man. We've been talking for a long time. I got you here. This is an <sighs> awesome podcast. This is great. Um, we'll sign it off. But, Chris, thanks for an excellent conversation okay. Anytime. On, on this shooting and, and stuff. And we'll do more. Uh, we'll get together and what we need to do is I need to come to Green Mill and we'll do a live stream. I have the little live stream box and we'll do a live stream. So we'll do that. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Riflecraft with a K. Go see Chris's stuff. You could find it on Sniper's High. Google it, whatever. It's worth your time. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers.